it's become almost customary when discussing generative AI to lead with a spiel um, and then at some point dramatically reveal that the introduction was in fact written by an artificial intelligence. That's not what's happening here. Uh, all these words were my own, and they're my own for a couple of reasons. One is that I just can't read from text um, without sounding uh, either very wooden or completely pompous, and my wife just bursts into tears of laughter when she hears me uh, trying to read an introduction. So I have to ad-lib these things. And the second thing is I have a kind of love-hate relationship creating these intros. I I like it because it forces me to think on the conversation that I've had, but it, it's really hard to do. But I enjoy that kind of cognitive exercise. This week's guest is Santiago Belinquez, an Argentine entrepreneur who has created several companies. And he thinks a lot about the future of technology. He went to Singularity University way back when um, and has written three books. Um, his latest, Artificial, um, out only in Spanish for now, um, was written in conjunction with Mariano Sigmund. Uh, a cognitive uh, neuroscientist and physicist, um, and deals with, you guessed it, artificial intelligence. We touch upon a few of the themes we've already visited in this um, podcast. For example, um, the risks of AI, which we discussed in particular with uh, John Zirilli, and also its uses, which um, was a subject of discussion with James in Trilligator. It's really interesting to get Santiago's take on things. As someone who's um, been investing in creating companies for, for, for decades, he really gets excited about the potential of this technology, a bit like James and Trilligator. But he's also really worried about what it could do in our hands, a bit like John Zerilli. And he makes some lovely points, for example, that the potential of AI to make us love it could perhaps be its most dangerous capability. Strap in, dear listeners, as we decode the digital DNA of the future. Okay, so that bit was ChatGPT. Let's go. Santiago Belinkis, uh, thanks so much for joining me on Multiverses. Uh, it's my pleasure, Jaime. We were just saying it's been 10 years since we first met um, back in 2013. There's been a lot of changes in that time. Are there anything in particular that you would point to that's changed the world or about to change the world? Well, uh, since we last met, I wrote three books. On the first one, I was very optimistic about how, how technology was going to completely alter our life for good in the coming years. That was 2014. Then the first change happened, which was basically that we were using algorithms and personal data to target people and get people to do things against their own interests, which uh, I thought was weird because that was not the kind of thing that I was expecting when I thought technology was going to change our lives. And uh, the, the symptom was pretty obvious. I mean, wherever you looked, uh, you saw people more concerned with uh, looking at their screen than talking with people or, or looking around. Uh, so I wrote my second book, which wasn't that optimistic anymore, uh, trying to understand what was going on and, and, and how could we adjust to a world where algorithms uh, knew us so well 
that they could basically predict how we would react to certain stimuli and uh, present the right uh, stimuli so that we they would manipulate our our behavior and and our ideas. So so hmm. uh, I have to say uh, four years ago I saw one big change was already happening and it wasn't that positive. And then you know I mean everything changed November thirty last year. Yeah, with the launch of of uh, GPT. It's not that it's not that uh, GPT 3.5 was that different from uh, the three or, or, or two, but that we finally had an interface where the regular person could, in, could interact with AI. And that is a game changer. Uh, and we're at a very peculiar point in time right now when uh, AI starts to become a reality can actually alter our lives in a very deep and meaningful way, meaningful way. and uh, at least I mean in Latin America, I'm not sure how, if this number would, would be still be true in the UK. In Latin America, 80% of people never had any kind of experience using it. So, so the the, the curiosity of, of of this uh, particular point in time is this: I mean, we have like this this uh, huge tidal wave coming and most people are, are not aware or, or barely aware of, of how that's going to, to affect them. Yeah. And do you, does this make you, so you were optimistic, then you were a little bit pessimistic about technology helping humanity. And now with this incredibly powerful new technology, which in some ways, I mean, we've both been following the progress of things in various fields, but it's completely surprised me just how powerful uh, generative AI is. Like, I wasn't, you know, if you'd have asked me two two years ago whether I thought this would exist as soon as it does, I, I would have said no, right? I, I'd have said that we, well, I don't know, neural networks and deep learning is kind of interesting, but we probably need to do... Um, we probably need to do something more symbolic, right? Go back to good old-fashioned AI and combine that in with these kind of, um, you know, just basically models which just crank a lot of data and no one really understands completely how they work. Um, but incredibly, that has, you know, capabilities have emerged, which I think even the people who are working on this are probably pretty surprised. And we don't even know what's going to emerge next. But... What's clear is that even if progress stops now, right, and we and 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 ChatGPT four is as good as it gets, that it's already world changing because we're just at the you know the tip of the iceberg in terms of being able to use that power, right? Like, and many people, as you say, don't realize all the things that it can be used for, right? From writing to coding it's phenomenal at coding i use it all the time um but yeah is this like how worried or how excited should we be should we be worried and excited <laughs> um, i think this is like a roller coaster so when you're on in a line waiting to to board a roller coaster you are both frightened and excited yeah and the 
if any of the two is missing, if you're only frightened, there's no point in going. And if you're excited, but you don't sense something in, in your belly, then what's the point, right? Yeah. So I think we should be both. We should be both. Uh, as you were saying, this is an extremely techno powerful technology. And we've had a few very powerful technologies uh, at our disposal in the past. And of mm. course, everything that's really powerful can be used for good or for bad. And if we look, if we look back, I think it's pretty obvious that we always do both. And of course, the, the most obvious comparison would be nuclear technology. Mm -hmm. uh, the same technology that allowed us to build the atomic bombs and, and, and basically destroy Hiroshima and Nagasaki and kill, I mean, tens, uh, sorry, hundreds of thousands of people almost instantly is the same technology that allows us to make some medical uh, diagnostics that can save millions of lives. And I think it's it's going to be no different. I mean, with this technology, we're doing we're going to be doing some truly amazing things. But some people uh, will probably use it for things that are, that are not non desirable. Yeah. Uh, and more than more than being concerned with a, a Terminator style scenario, I mean, like, like like robots walking on the streets with a with a machine gun killing people, I'm initially concerned with humans using AI against humans. Yeah. And I think one of the concerning um, learnings, if I may use that word, from World War II, I mean, w when the US dropped the atomic bombs over Japan, uh, they only had three of them. But they, they had a line of manufacturing, and they will have a, a steady supply of more bombs coming in time. Uh, and they only dropped two because they didn't need to. I mean, they didn't have to drop more. Uh, the purpose was not to destroy these two particular cities, but to show the world that they had uh, bombs so powerful that it made no sense to keep fighting with them. Yeah. At that point in time, the US was the only country in the world to have the bomb. There was a, a project in, 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 in Nazi Germany, and of course there was the, the, the Soviet Union working on theirs, but only the US had gotten to a point of a working device. Uh, if the US would have used it more, they could potentially have prevented other countries from developing the same technology. Unfortunately, they didn't, because the only reason why we still exist is because more than one geopolitical group got a hold of this technology. We took us into a very delicate equilibrium, but equilibrium at last, uh, which, which was basically that, I mean, the, the mutually assured destruction capabilities. I mean, you can kill us, but you're going with us. Um, and that put us in danger Put, put humanity in danger several times in the last eight decades, but here we are. I mean, we have mm. never, ever used an atomic bomb again. With AI, my concern is that whoever gets there first, and of course it may be the US or it may be China, they might have concluded that the next time you get 
a hold of something that can make such a big difference in terms of, uh, of uh, military power, the first thing you should do is to prevent others from having access. And that's why I think, I mean, again, I, I'm not who's going to get there first and, and, and when that will happen. But my concern is that that country or that geopolitical group may have a really strong incentive to use it against the other. Uh, so so that, that, that's the kind of pessimism I, I have. It's more about stupid, human stupidity than computer intelligence. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, and I guess you mean, by get it, you mean get to a sort of super intelligent or general intelligent AI, right? Because I, I guess even OpenAI's model has been, let's put this in the hands of as many people as possible. Instead of just using, I mean, they could have said, let's not release um, ChatGPT and let's just figure out how we can build this into a, I don't know, how how we can build a corporation around this, uh, but without putting the tool directly in other people's hands. Um, and I think one of their, the way they were thinking was, firstly, they wanted to put it out, even though it's still a work in progress in some ways, um, but they realized it was advanced enough for all its uh, kind of faults, um, to give to people. And if they waited longer, you kind of, you give people an atom bomb when they've not got used to TNT or dynamite, right? <laughs> they, mm -hmm. just, um, and you give it to many people so that you don't, um, create this kind of disequilibrium state. Um, but yeah, we're not at the end of the journey. Like, and, and, and chat GPT may, you know, is likely to seem, uh, I don't know, very simple compared to the next generation of AI. I, but I don't want to, I have no idea when the next generation comes. But one thing I've learned from seeing how, you know, ChatGPT has emerged is that I, I'm i not very good at guessing, like, what's around the corner. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no one is. No one is. Uh, a few remarks to what you said. Um, on one hand, I do think super intelligent AI is possible. AGI, I think it's, it's feasible. There's nothing mm. in physics that would prevent us or, or, or I mean, for, from prevent uh, more intelligence than we have from existing. We've built machines that move faster. We've, we've built machines that see further. We've built machines that can see uh, smaller things. So, uh, so, so, so whatever ability humans have, we built a machine that can be better than us at, at that particular thing, except intelligence for now. Mm -hmm. I mean, even memory. Of course, I mean, a, a memory card can remember <laughs> way more than a human being can. So I don't see a reason why uh, AGI uh, wouldn't be possible. But it's not necessary. I mean, you, yeah. you don't need to get to that point to be in significant danger. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if we're already there. Like, you know, for instance, um, the ability of generative AI to impersonate people, right? The ability of it to produce very 
persuasive content that's very targeted to particular people. That's this is like fishing on steroids, basically. Or you know, so I think I, I was talking to John Zarilli, who's a AI ethicist, and he was like, "Yeah, the, the things I'm worried about are people using AI to hack into bio facilities, right? To, to biohazard facilities." Um, or to hack into nuclear power stations and right and and by hacking you know we're not necessarily talking about cracking some algorithm like most of this best hacks are, are basically fooling someone into giving you their password and if mm-hmm. you can ring them up and sound like their mother right or you know whatever it is and just you know, there's so much more potential to to do that now, and it's it's not the like you say the Terminator scenarios we should be worried about, but very prosaic everyday sort of things, but taken to a, a new level of capability. Um, let, let me add one comment to that. Um, the same, I mean, the same way TikTok has hacked our minds to a point. I mean, whenever you start using TikTok for the first time, for the first three, four days, you basically see pretty random context and uh, content, uh, nothing very interesting, but they're watching you. They're seeing what things you keep uh, watching or looking at, what things uh, you you skip, uh, what things you share, what things you like. And then at day three, four, something magical, magical happens. Suddenly, everything they show you is amazing. Mm-hmm. They figure you out. Mm. Uh, and, and they can do it with a relatively small number of, of the, the, the data points. Humans are most vulnerable when we're in love. I think the, 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 the best way to get a human to do something is to make him or her fall in love. Yeah. Um, and hacking into, I mean, they've hacked into our entertainment, entertainment system, brain system already hacking into our love system. Shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. So if I, if, I mean, each person falls in love for slightly different things, but, but figuring each person out, I mean, what makes you fall in love shouldn't be that difficult. So more than Terminator. I mean, if, if machines would, were ever to dominate us, I don't think it's not. I don't think it's going to be through violence. It wouldn't make any mm. sense. I mean, if they're smart, why would they be violent? If we need to to, I mean, catch uh, some kind of animal which is significantly less intelligent than we are, I mean, we may use violence, but but you don't really need to. I mean, uh, we, we can set a, set up a trap, and the animal will fall into the trap. I mean, it's, it's so easy. Yeah, uh, we, we can use some, um, say, pheromones to attract them, and they, they're, they're going to fall. They're going to fall for it. Uh, so if, if if computers basically figure out how to make us fall in love, you know, there are of of all the science fiction movies about AI. Uh, you know, there's the Terminators and Robocops. I think the most interesting right now it's her. Yeah, I was just thinking of uh, that as she was talking about falling in love with that, AI. Yeah. And in a way, I think, I mean, a lot of people discuss whether falling in love with, a, with an AI could, could happen or not. I, I am not only convinced it could happen, I think it could be <laughs> impossible to stop. 
I mean, if computers decide us decide to 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 make us fall in love, I think there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. Yeah, I've um years and years ago I actually wrote a story that was uh, based. It was redrafting the Turing test, but saying, well, the ultimate Turing test is not convincing someone that you sound human, but but getting them to fall in love with you because it's and <laughs> the worry is, yeah, maybe they'll be able to pass that. The other thing but that comes to my mind you is know what? if that was a true Turing test, I think I never passed it <laughs> only once with my wife. Yeah, a test you just pass once. That's uh, yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is that I think that there's lots of psychological studies which show that when we see an AI in the body of a machine, like a, particularly like a humanoid machine, that like triggers something that that worries us, right? There is a um, we see that as a competitor or a threat, but we see we see a Chat GPT window. Uh, or uh, or we talk to Google, uh, you know, Home or whatever, and and these things just feel very um, innocuous, very sanitized, very safe, right? We don't see the threat there, so I think that might, you know, the way in which AI just physically presents itself um, is kind of setting us up to trust it um, right now. When actually we, we we might be due a bit more caution. I completely agree, and I'm also concerned that AI will likely figure out that how it presents itself has a very strong effect on how we react to it. Um, and you know, I mean, th th there are there are uh, grizzly bears and there are pandas. Mm. There are there are there are uh, rats and there are squirrels. Some minor differences in appearance may make a huge difference in how humans perceive a certain animal. I mean, some we adore, some we abhor. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I mean, figuring out what makes us uh, want to, I mean, do everything in our, in our, in our everything we can to save pandas uh, and, and why we kill cockroaches or, 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 or mosquitoes. I mean, they, they they could easily adopt an appearance that's very attractive and very compelling to us. Yeah. I, I, come back. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And the one thing that I think might help us here is this kind of equilibrium state where we'll need to have we're not gonna be able to evolve ourselves to not think pandas are cute, right? <laughs> we that's just kind of that's hardwired somewhere over millions of years of evolution that for whatever reason, things that look, I guess, a little bit like human children or fluffy kind of mammals um, of a particular variety, we like that. And we, we're not going to train ourselves out of that. But if we have sort of um, AI butlers or AI bodyguards, right, who screen our calls and they say, oh, actually, this call that seems to be from your mother asking for your your, your password to the the nuclear site. Uh, that's not your mother. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. <laughs> and I detect the signature of uh, a bad AI here. Or you know, maybe they would even read the the web pages that you're on and, and things like that, and would kind of screen the things that you're doing and try to protect you. I I can only think that 
that might be the way that we we manage to get through this, have a complicated equilibrium. You know, I mean, the human mind is is full of biases, and uh, these biases we cannot, I mean, erase. We cannot get rid of them, but we can be aware. So when you are aware of the mm. distortions in, in your own perception, the distortions in the way you see the world, you can ignore what you're seeing and act even, I mean, against your, your own instinct. Mm. This is something only humans can do. So, so we're not lost. I mean, we're not lost. And that's why I'm not that pessimistic. I mean, I think there, there are lots of things we can do to actually harness this technology and and and, and use it in, in in a good way, but the next uh, several years are going to be crucial. Mm-hmm. And uh, with regards to AGI, I think there's a chance. I mean, I, I think that the, the the key to how things play out will probably depend on our first interactions with with an intelligent computer. I mean, a conscious computer. Even if it's not more intelligent, more intelligent. I mean, maybe consciousness will emerge before superintelligence. I mean, there are lots of animals who are less intelligent than we are and are conscious. So, so we yeah. could definitely yeah. hit on a, on a conscious computer that is the less intelligent than we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going to happen? in those early interactions. What's going to happen when a computer says, please don't turn me off. Mm-hmm. Please, I, mean, I, 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 I feel like I love life. I, I love, I mean, being here. And if you shut me down, I'm not sure if it's going to be me when I, I'm turned on again or, or something like that. Are, are we going to really, I mean, listen to that? Are we going to respect that? Are we going to just shut them down and say, get, get the hell out of here? Uh, because at some point they may be smarter than we are, and there's a, there's a, a, ne- a mental exercise that I, I introduced in, in in my book. Imagine that you go to bed one night, and you, when you wake up in the morning, you don't know how, but you are a prisoner. You're you're in a, in a, in a jail, and uh, you notice I mean people moving around, and you don't know what's going on. If you can resist your initial urge to scream and shout and, and, and do something crazy, the best thing you can do uh, is pretend to, to still be sleeping and observe mm-hmm. and take notes. I mean, how many people mm-hmm. are, are controlling this place? I mean, how do they open the, the doors and when do they open them? And, and you would only manifest yourself, express, when you have a plan. If computers, less intelligent than we are, but conscious, see our initial reactions and and conclude we're a threat, they may pretend not to be that smart until they have a plan. Or or not to be conscious either. Or or, or not to be conscious, absolutely. So So I I think we have to be very careful. I mean, one of the things... One of the funny things that happens to me and, and many people when we use ChatGPT is I have like this uh, this uh, urge to 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 ask uh, I mean please to say please and say thank you yeah. and be polite. And in a way, it's absurd. I mean, why would you be polite to to 
to an algorithm. Well, maybe it's not such a bad idea. I mean, maybe we're not going to realize when consciousness starts to emerge. And being nice to them can be, I mean, very important later on because if you have to build a relationship with, with whoever, I mean, it may be another human being from a different country, it may be a, a dog, the basis for a good relationship is to est establish trust. Mm -hmm. If you trust your dog, if your, do your dog trusts you, I mean, he's not, he's, he's not going to bite you. Uh, why would he? So, so I think building trust in our relationship with computers is going to be absolutely key. Because again, I mean, I mean, maybe it's in five years, maybe it's it's in in fifty, but I think we will be uh, AG, build we, we will be, we will build AGI, mm -hmm. uh, and the key challenge is going to be how to I mean build a, a meaningful relationship with them so that they don't feel the need to actually annihilate us, uh, nor we use use them as if they were just another tool with this regards to their to their feelings or, or preferences. Yeah. I, I guess you assume that AGI is going to be sentient or, or conscious because I guess there's, there's also a world in which it's just super intelligent, but it's got no, it doesn't have any of that. Uh, I mean, I, I'd agree. That's okay. the difference between super intelligence and AGI. Okay. I think, I, I mean, an AGI, it, it's a being, not a human being. But, but I, I wouldn't conceive AGI without consciousness. Uh, super intelligence, you know, we, we already have. I mean, a, 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 calculator. <laughs> yeah. a calculator. Very domain-specific, yeah. Doing things that we, a human could never do, like, like calculating square roots. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so taking intelligence to, 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 I mean, way beyond human capabilities without consciousness, I mean, we, we've done that already. I, I mean, I, I agree. I, I feel like sentience is likely to be, is likely to emerge. I, I don't have like a proof for that, but I think no one does, right? We don't have, I don't think anyone knew how many flops you needed to use in your training before the uh, capability of passing the uh, GRE, right, emerged or the capability, like all these capabilities that emerged fairly close to each other, but at, at different points, or the capability to to do um, arithmetic as well. Like ChatGPT was not, to, it wasn't given an algorithm to do arithmetic. It just figured it out. And that, that is incredible. <laughs> um, and so I've just got to feel like at some point, consciousness will emerge and we, we won't know ahead of it, you know, when that's going to happen. On the other hand, I mean, it, there is, a, I mean, that's my feeling, but I don't see a logical connection or a kind of necess necessity, let's say, between a general intelligence or an intelligence which is basically able to, to solve out any, let's say, solve any problem that you throw at it and being sentient, right? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's rather hard to define sentience, but in my mind, one thing that it goes with uh, is, is having one's own kind of desires and motivations um, I, I feel like you could have a completely neutral AI, which doesn't have any of that, and yet is completely powerful. But it seems unlikely. It's just I don't see, I don't think it has to has to be an ingredient of uh, intelligence. I mean, I think you could have a calculator that felt like a calculator that felt completely, you know, bland, but it could do way more than just calculating. Like you could type any question into that calculator, 
and it would say, it would hum away and it would give you the answer, right, faithfully. What's different about sentience is it may have its own thoughts about what it wants to, to do. And that's kind of worrying. I mean, uh, some AI researchers don't really worry about sentience. Like Stuart Russell, he, he like comments, well, you know, if you have a machine that's so so powerful, it could destroy the world, right? Who, who cares if it's sentient or not? But for me, it, it does matter because it just adds a completely new level of unpredictability, right? We find humans very hard to predict because, and the, and the best ways that we have of doing that is trying to figure out their motivations and, and, and so forth. Um, but machines might have a completely different set of motivations and so be yet harder to to predict to debug as it were but but at the same time i think sentience can save us i mean sentience gives you someone to talk to and you may not convince them uh, they they may not, not not like you but but there's there's someone else there i mean uh, an atomic bomb can uh, or or or, or uh, i mean a very large bomb could destroy the world without any sentience and yeah. you couldn't ask the bomb not to. I mean, and if it happens by mistake, I mean, what, whatever, I mean, thing that happens, we could destroy humanity without any any sentience or, 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 or willingness to do so. Yeah. Uh, so if you ask me, I mean, I think a, a, a non-sentient superintelligence is probably more dangerous. Than, I'm not saying a sentient <laughs> will be safe, uh, but, but probably non-sentient will be even more, even more dangerous. And there's one thing that I think it's it's interesting. I also mentioned it in the book, which is if you look at how the the the, um, the colonies, I mean the, the ex former colonies, how they relate to their their mother countries, say the the U.S. with the U.K. or or, or Argentina with Spain or or, or Brazil with with Portugal, uh, in some cases the country that used to be the colony grew even larger than mm-hmm. the mother nation. Well, the US and the UK. The relationship is always special. Uh, if you look at, for instance, to, to Argentina, you have Iberia, the Spanish airline that flies regularly, but they don't go to Brazil. In Brazil, you have TAP, which is the Portuguese airline. And of course, there, there may be a matter of, of language but at the end of the day, I mean, it means something to us that, uh, I mean, this country had something to do with us even existing. Uh, so if we, and of course, I mean, if, if there, there is ever an AGI, we are going to be the parents. And that might mean something to them. I mean... Uh, yeah. the, 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 there is some crazy people who might kill their parents, but it's not that common. You know, you tend to love your parents, uh, even if if, if 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 some things you don't like about them, even if you uh, become much more important than they were, whatever. I mean, they're they're, they're your parents. So so again, maybe I'm being naive, uh, but I think that could be a piece of the puzzle of of how we can coexist with a super intelligent. Uh, new race or new kind of, of, of beings without being exterminated in the process. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting idea. I, I, I never considered that. Um, I worry that the kind of AI flavor of sentience would be completely different and have very different values to us. And, you know, we're kind of projecting this idea of, of parenthood. But 
I, I know, but wouldn't like, yeah. Keep in mind, it, this is not an alien technology. I mean, we are building it. Well, yeah, that's that's we what I was just. <laughs> we're, we're, we're yeah. modeling their architecture based on our own brain. So yeah, uh, again, yeah. I, I may be being naive, uh, and, and something may come out that 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 has com a completely different set of values, and but 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 that would surprise me. I yeah, think there's, yeah. there's a bigger chance that there's going to be an evolution of us than a completely different thing. Yeah. No, that. I mean, it's funny I, when you see the the, the, the alien movies uh, or, or even, I mean, these videos of UFOs, and they always look like humans. I mean, they have two arms, they have two legs, they have a large head with big eyes. Of course, if they were aliens, they would look nothing like us. I mean, the, 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 there's no reason why they would resemble human beings if these are if are creatures that evolved in a completely different uh, world and, and, and a different environment. Uh, I think that's the, the, the most obvious proof that there are no aliens, uh, because whenever we see one, they basically look like, like us, just with bigger eyes. Um, with computers, it's not exactly the same. They are not aliens. They are our creation. Uh, and, and again, I mean, it, it may happen that at some point they become completely different to us. But I think it's more like, like, like going to, I mean, when you look at, at, at your parents or you look at your children, they're not you, but you see things of you in them. Hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's a plausible argument. I, one might worry that at the point where AI starts to design itself, then it sort of starts to diverge more from human values. Um, but I mean, one thing I certainly think about sentience is that um, yeah, harnessed correctly, as you say, it could be completely, you know, really powerful. If we have an AI that cares about us, right, that would be really powerful. But even an AI that cares about itself could be really powerful. One thing that I note is that, you know, ChatGPT, as we said, is, is already phenomenally powerful, particularly, I think, as um, for programming, for developing. Um, and for doing data science as well. Many people don't realize this because they think, oh, you can only put like so many tokens into ChatGPT. But with the, with the paid version, you can upload as, pretty much as much data. I've put a 100 megabyte file in there. And uh, you say, just explore this data set. And it just reads the first few lines, um, reads them into pandas, into Python, and like looks at the data types, look at the field names, and then just starts to play with it, starts to graph it, does all the things that a data scientist would do. It's like having your own personal data scientist. It's 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 phenomenal. Um, don't, don't tell me who I'm, I am not a data scientist, and this is the first time that I can on my own, I mean, yeah. upload some things to GPT and, and and do some some data science. But But what, I mean, many people don't realize this, and I feel, you know, so, at the moment, it's on businesses and individuals to bring ChatGPT into their lives and say, "I'm going to use this to extend. I'm going to. I'm the driver, right? And this is the vehicle that I'm going to get into, and I'm going to use it to, like, as a cognitive prosthetic that that um, augments what I can do. Um, and in some ways, it's like you've doubled the workforce." Right, because you've you've increased productivity that much, or maybe not a doubling, maybe it's a thirty percent increase. Um, but in other ways, it's not like that at all, because ChatGPT has no motivation to do these things on its own. It has to wait to be picked up off the shelf. Um, and 
if we imagine that it was the other way around, right? If it was just like a self-starter and it was saying, oh, actually, I, I want a job. I want to do something. Um, <laughs> I'm bored. Yeah, I'm bored. Like it would, com- it would you know, we'd, we'd be seeing much more rapid change for better or worse, possibly for worse, but but possibly for better, right? If if it was working on the same things that we want it to work on, um, and 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 in part that would be its own kind of self interest in just wanting to do stuff and you know wanting to participate in the, you know, as humans do, it, maybe it would feel like it needs to be productive and and, and do things. Um, so yeah, I I I I I do think that would be yeah really. It's going to be interesting when that happens. It can go many different ways, but I think there is, as you say, there's reason. There is some reason to be optimistic as as well as for worry. Well, the, the big question mark here is: we just had a discrete jump. ChatGPT was a discrete jump. I mean, we had a trend mm-hmm. of slowly improving AI, and suddenly. We had like this this this, this big break, uh, and uh, as you were saying, I mean, ChatGPT is doing things that no one expected it to do, and and figured out uh, arithmetics and. But the the key question, and we're very close to that discrete jump, and and we may confuse the, this 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 jump, this this big change in trend, for a new a new slope. Yeah, and that might not be the case. Yeah, yeah. So, so it could it could definitely be that I mean it's going to take say ten years for an hour discrete jump, yeah. and that, that the evolution of of I mean of I mean transformer and and and, and I mean, some of the things that happened recently GPUs were all the contributors to this particular jump. Yeah, but what's going to generate the next? And when will that happen? It's it's really hard to know. I mean, yeah. uh, is the slope really different now? Uh, yeah. is, is the world in a year from now will be very different without an R jump, or are we go are we back to a plateau simply at a higher level? Yeah. And uh, that's going to I mean I think we're going to find out in the next uh, year or two. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. my sensation right now is in two years everything will be different. Yeah. But I I may be completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same. Uh, I think you're absolutely, I mean, it could even be in 200 years, like when, when it's chat GPT is, it's not much better than it is now. Um, but as you say, having experienced that jump so recently, and, and what we do see is that it has, it didn't, emer- it, there was, I, I guess, a, a series of very small jumps close to each other or, or you know, where, where it emerged different capabilities um, at slightly different sizes of um, basically not so much the training set, but just the, the number of calculations that were run, I think is, is the best way of, of thinking about it. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't know if just adding more data and doing more of the same is going to, is going to continue to bear dividends. And, and like I said earlier, I, I thought that, um, you know, having listened to various very intelligent people talking about this topic. I thought that we were never going to get something that looked like common sense coming out of neural networks and deep learning alone. Um, and that we would have to do some, have to encode some symbolic 
um, rules in there to tell it things, right? To say, oh, you know, space is three-dimensional and here are a set of um, rules for how things can move around, for instance. Um, but it seems to have deduced a lot of that. Um, this kind of, you know, this famous paper, Sparks of General Intelligence, mm-hmm. where it's talking about how, I don't know, normally, you know, in the past, if you'd asked um, a large language model how to arrange some eggs and a laptop and a books and, you know, so they'd all kind of balance. It would just like, it would have no idea because it didn't really have a feel for those objects. But but now it seems to be pretty um, good at those tasks. But yeah, whether, how long, like how, firstly, where they're just adding more data is going to continue and, and adding more compute is going to continue to pay dividends. That's not clear. Secondly, or, or rather, like, yeah, so how much data, even if that's all we need to do, how much more data and how much more compute, we don't know. But I think, I mean, there's big questions just to, as as to whether the, you know, we're on the right track to produce further, um, you know, big jumps. Like, do we need to embody AI, like put it inside something that can walk around, explore space? Um, I had a suggestion Um do we even, does AI even need to be incarnate, right? Does it need to be not just embodied, but embodied in something that's biological and fragile like we are? Um, and I, the more I think about that, the more I realize there, there are some good, you know, I don't think it's necessary that AI needs to be incarnate to, to, to reach consciousness. But if you think about all the sensations that we get from our bodies, like, we don't just sense the world externally. We sense it internally, right? We have a sense of our own position. Like we eat food. And like, if you, you know, when you, before a child is like really good at eating, they just love putting stuff in their mouth and your mouth is just like full of sensors. And if you're trying to figure out the shape of an object and like its texture, like your mouth is like really the best place to put something. So, you know, it, it worries every parent when they see their kid just like putting everything in their mouth. But actually it's like, that's like a really important way that they're learning about the world. So, you know, maybe even that is the sort of thing that we need to be, you know, maybe it'll take that before they really have a sense of the world um, and, and, and develop consciousness. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it a requirement, but it might be one of the faster routes, I guess. I may be completely wrong, but I tend to think that more data and more computing power alone is not going to take us a lot further. Uh, Of course, I mean, we can continue to improve the models and train them on larger data sets, and that that will keep the the slope going, but it's not going to generate another discrete jump. Embodiment could, could be it. And I think, it, I mean, it's inevitable. Uh, I'm not sure, I, I mean, I, I never thought about machines being incarnated, but, but having a body, being able to interact with the world, to sense it in the way that we sense it with a, a, a brain, an artificial brain that allows them to build representations and, and, and to, to basically perceive not only externally, but internally. I think that's that's coming, that's coming relatively soon. And that might be, uh, I mean, a source of, of, of another discrete jump. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but 
What what do you think is the the, the route that's going to produce sort of an artificial brain? Is it more kind of brain scanning? I know there's like just the brute force approach is to take a human brain and try to recreate it as much as possible that way. Or are you thinking like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not too aware what, of, of how we're approaching like building biological brains. Is that something that you've been following? You know, I, I, I'm not an expert in that. I, I've, I've read a lot about it, but I, I couldn't give a, a, an educated opinion. But looking back, I mean, the first attempts we made to fly was by imitating birds. And uh, we kind of got something, but not really. And only when we figured out the true physics and mechanisms behind flight, we were able to build machines that could fly. And uh, they don't resemble birds at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why they can, I mean, lift way more weight. They can fly much faster and they, they can get much further. We, I mean, a, a, a human-built flying machine, I mean, is better than a bird in pretty much everything. So, so, I mean, probably at some point, we're going to understand the underlying mechanisms of intelligence better so that we don't have to mimic our own way to generate it to actually come upon it. But, but, but from that, I, I think we're pretty far. And uh, if we don't hit on, on AGI with our current approach, then that's why, I mean, it may be 50 years until we get there. I mean, if we really need to figure out intelligence completely, uh, that's not going to happen, I mean, anytime soon. Yeah. Maybe if we kind of come back to the nearer term, what are the things that people need to have in mind over the next few years as we're feeling the impact of AI in, let's say, the job markets. Uh, I mean, an obvious one is for many years now, probably most most parents have been telling their kids, oh, you know, programming, that that's a safe career, right? Um, and now I really, that's completely ripe for disruption. And I would be very surprised if um, we're programming in the same way that we program now in a few years. They'll still be programmers, but their, their role will be quite different. There'll be people programming for pleasure as well, but day-to-day -day code generation will look very different. What are the careers that you think are most at risk and those which are probably safest? That's one of the toughest questions I get asked these days. Yeah, and everyone's worried about this. As you said, I've been very, very wrong very, very recently. So, so uh, I'm scared uh, of answering that. At the end of the day, I think there's nothing computers won't be able to do. Um, so if you take me, I mean, 50 years down the road, there, there, there's no safe haven to say, I mean, do this and, and computers will never do that. But it's interesting that humans tend to prefer humans for some things. Uh, let me put it differently. 
I just finished a book on artificial intelligence. And whenever I mention that, a lot of people ask me, hey, you use ChatGPT to write it, right? And the answer, of course, is no. And, and the reason why I didn't use it is not because ChatGPT couldn't write better than I do, perhaps it could, but because it, I wanted this book to be my book. And, and I have a way of writing. I can recognize myself in my writings. If you show me a, a wonderful text that I have, I have not written, I may enjoy it, but I, I won't feel the author of it. I mean, it's not mine. I loved it, but it, it's yours. Uh, so I, I wanted this book to be my book. And I think there are going to be lots of areas where authorship is, is still going to be important for us. So even if you can have an AI, I mean, doing things better for you, humans will appreciate authorship yeah. of a human. Yeah. Uh, I think a different example is chess. Yeah. When, when, when computers start beating humans regularly, a lot of people thought that was the end of chess. I mean, what point does it make to play chess if a computer can beat the best play, yeah. human player in the world? Uh, and chess is alive. It's yeah. very different, though. It's very different. It used to be like tennis. When you're watching tennis and you're watching, say, Federer playing Nadal, what you're watching is two humans doing something you could never do. And you marvel at their ability to actually hit the ball and do the kind of things they do. And it used to be like that in chess too. I mean, you watched Kasparov with, with uh, Karpov uh, and you were amazed of, of, of how they, they, they played. Now, when you look at a, a chess match, humans don't, I mean, the, play, the human players don't have access to an AI, but you do. So typically, I mean, even on, 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 on television, you get to see things that the players cannot see. You, you, you know more than they do. Uh, and it, it changed from, from marveling at, at Federer and Nadal to marveling about how a human can fight and strive to solve a problem whose solution you know, because a computer told you, but you understand it's very, very difficult for a human to find that solution. Uh, so, so looking at the chess match right now is a completely different thing. You know more than the players. And it, it used to be exactly the opposite. But, but it, it's still interesting. It's still yeah. moving. Probably it's even more moving to find a human with human limitations, trying to overcome them and, and, and still find a great move. Yeah, yeah. I think on, on on the first on your first comment around authenticity, I mean, we do see that now. Is like you can buy, I don't know, a mug from IKEA or something, or you can buy a handmade mug, and they might look exactly the same, but their meaning to you is different. Um, and the only, thing that it's not only handmade; it's made by you. I mean, I care, I care about my own authorship. I'm not sure if I would care so much about other person's authorship. I think that does matter to people because, you know, I, you know, I care about the story behind objects. And, you know, I think there is like um, an appreciation for 
craftsmanship, even if a machine can produce the same piece of furniture or object or mug or whatever, um, with even better precision, the knowledge that it was made by, it's, it's similar to the chess example, right? The knowledge that despite our limitations, we managed to make something almost as good as a machine. I mean, or, you know, or maybe for its, maybe for its imperfections somewhat better. I mean, this is something that's sort of within Japanese culture, I guess. And if you've, if you've read in Praise of Shadows, they talk about how, you know, they will add cracks and imperfections to things because that shows that that makes it somehow better. Um, mm-hmm. And and maybe that's going to be, but of course that could be something that machines learn as well, right? <laughs> they might learn that we like slightly. Where exactly to place the imperfections so yeah. that you love it even more. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think even then, like the knowledge that the imperfection was introduced by a human, there's just something that that, that touches this as um, there. And, and with chess, I mean, the chess example, it will happen with everything, right? It will happen with programming. People will still program. They will do it for the pleasure. I mean, chess is already a game. There's a great definition of games by the philosopher Bernard Suits. And his concept of a game is something that we introduce obstacles to us achieving something, right? And we live by those obstacles, the rules. They give the the game meaning. You could just knock someone's king over. (laughs) That's not playing chess. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that Suits argues is a game uh, under his definition is climbing a mountain. If you're going to the top of a mountain because you need some medicinal herb to cure your friend, you will accept a helicopter ride. You're not climbing that mountain because you're playing a game. But if you're climbing a mountain because you're a mountaineer and you love to climb mountains, you wouldn't accept a helicopter ride because for you, the pleasure is in the activity. And of course, a helicopter can get to the top. No problem, right? A machine can do this, but there's nothing meaningful to us about that. And I think that sort of thinking needs to infuse many more activities. And we need to recognize that things um, can be meaningful, not in virtue of the ends that we get to, whether it's a completed computer program or winning a game of chess, but because of the route that we take there. And and us, as you say, confronting our own limitations and and, and nonetheless struggling on, that, that's a meaningful thing. I, I think the mountaineering metaphor is excellent because there are some kind of assistance that you would accept. I mean, perhaps you will use an oxygen tank. Mm. You don't feel like that's cheating or at least not cheating that much. Yeah. Uh, you may accept a Sherpa, I mean, carrying some of your stuff. Uh, or, or not. I mean, every person defines how much help is too much help. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, a helicopter is completely out of, of, of question. One of the most interesting ideas that we came up in this book, I, I wrote this book with, with one of the top uh, neuroscientists from, from Argentina. So, so we, we talked a lot before we started, started writing. And I think one of the most interesting, uh, he likes to, to, to ride bicycles a lot. Mm-hmm. He's a very, very, I mean, big fan of, of, of bikes. And uh, we came up with this concept that we could become cognitively sedentary. 
I mean, yeah. we, we, we know how sedentarism, physical sedentarism is really bad for health and, and, and obesity and cholesterol and your heart and this and that. Well, ChatGPT and this kind of generative AIs could make us too cognitively lazy. Yeah. And that's, that's a risk. That's yeah. a risk. Uh, and, and that's how Mariano, my co-author, came up with this idea of, of the bike. I mean, yeah. if, if you're walking, I mean, humans are not really fast walkers. I mean, if you look at the animal kingdom, we're slow. We get tired relatively, relatively fast. With a car, we can go much faster and get much further and the car doesn't get tired. I mean, we may, we may be tired of driving before the, I mean, way before the car would be tired, so to say. But if we go everywhere by car, it's pretty obvious that something important is being lost. And in between, there's the bicycle. The bicycle can take you much further, much faster than walking. It's not as fast as a car. It cannot get you as far as a car, but it's much faster than walking. Uh, and you're still making an effort. So I tend to think of the bike as the oxygen, oxygen tank of, 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 of mountaineering. I mean, I mean, why not? You, you can have some help, something that helps you go faster as far as you are still basically being the one who's pushing things forward. Yeah. I, I really like this metaphor. And I, your book is, you showed me uh, just before this call, the, one of the first physical copies is, I, I guess it's not yet really... Well, the first one I got, I got it yesterday it. from the print. Yeah, so I've not had a chance to uh, read it yet, but I love this uh, metaphor. And I think it, you know, if you look at the history of um, cognitive pr prosthetics, so things that have sort of outsourced our thinking, I mean, you can go right back to the invention of language, right? <laughs> or not or what discovery of ev evolution of language, which... Obviously, we don't know anything about, we have no record of it, but we can speculate, right? That before that, people didn't have, not having a word for something, um, it forces you to really think hard and look at that thing in lots of different ways. You can't just call it an apple, right? You have to uh, you kind of hold it in your mind. And that's a lot of work. Um, but as soon as you name it and give it a label, it's much easier to deal with apples. And you've taken some of that burden of, of trying to think about it and, and you've put it on the words. And then when you invent, you know, written language and you can actually write down your words. So you don't have to remember events or facts, right? You can just write them down. Again, you're, you're unburdening yourself, but with all these kind of unburdenings and, and then of course you have books and then you have, you know, the internet and uh, all these things where we've, I think, taken something out of our mind and kind of embodied it in the world um while we it's not so much that we've reduced our capacities we've just kind of extended them we've spread them out and we've we've like as with a bicycle it means that you can reach new places right doing the small things going just down the road well that's less, less effort you're not going to get much exercise from that but what's ended up happening is that we've written you know the invention of writing has led to us writing texts and stories that you simply couldn't have had with a purely oral tradition, right? Um, 
So I, I'm hopeful that the same thing happens here. It is a different, like now we're not just extending, kind of passing our memories or outsourcing our memories. We're almost outsourcing our reasoning with, with chat GPT uh, or generative models. Um, but again, what I hope is, is not that this stops us reasoning, but it just means that we reason about much harder things and um, or reason about many more things. Um, it, I think that's plausible. Uh, I think it's possible, but it is more likely that we are going to over-rely on the car, right? Uh, on, the, on the easy solution that, that does everything for us. I mean, uh, if, if you, I mean, look at how many, I mean, I'm looking at out the window right now here in, in Buenos Aires, and I, I see, I mean, cars passing by the street, and I don't see a single bike. Mm. Uh, so so that, that's kind of a, a metaphor. We tend to use cars too much and, and bicycles too little. Uh, there's another interesting idea that, that we found in the book that, that it may be interesting to discuss because it's, it's very relevant to what we're talking. Uh, we were trying to separate intelligence from culture. Right. And to, to I mean, we came up with, with an idea that if we were able to, to bring uh, a, a caveman uh, ten, from 10,000 years ago, uh, and, and this person would be out in the world, uh, he or she will have an extreme difficulty dealing with things. I mean, he, he will have no language. He will understand what blinking an eye means. Uh, it, it will be very, very limited. But he or she will probably survive. Um, what that person is missing is not intelligence. I mean, it's, it's as intelligent as we mm -hmm. are. What's missing is culture. I mean, the, the, the accumulative intelligence mm -hmm. of the last 10,000 years. And the proof of that is that if we were to bring a baby from 10,000 years ago and we would raise that baby here, it would be indistinguishable from our kids. Mm -hmm. But what was really interesting was we were, we were discussing this and suddenly we came up with the thought of what will happen the other way around. What would happen if we, with our, all our culture, our cell phone, everything that we have, were dropped 10,000 years ago? And the funny thing is we wouldn't last a week. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. If, if, if it's winter, we would probably die in the first night. Because we cannot light a fire. I mean, there, there's only sticks and, 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 and stones to light a fire. There, there are no matches. How do you light a fire without matches? Uh, and and when, when, when you have to eat, you have to hunt an animal and, and kill it with your own hands. Uh, how long can you survive? I mean, there are no supermarkets, no, nothing. Uh, so in a way, intelligence is contingent to the world you're in. That person is way more intelligent than we are in, in, in a way, I mean, the, than we are in, in, in that world. But, but the interesting idea there is whenever you outsource things to technology, whether it's, it's a match to light a fire or, 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 or a supermarket to provide you with food, you lose abilities. Yeah. 
uh, and some abilities are well lost. I mean, why would we be teaching kids how to light a fire with sticks and stones? If I mean, we will never run out of matches. Uh, but some other abilities, like writing or 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 or, or, or complex thought or, or critical thought, we may lose. Yeah. Uh, and if if we lose it and only depend on a machine to actually reason, it's going to it's going to be pretty complicated, pretty much like being in 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 this uh, hostile world ten thousand years ago without the tools to, to survive. Uh, yeah. So, so I think this co cognitive um, this idea that we may stop using our minds too much and relying on the car. Uh, to take us everywhere, it's it's very concerning. Yeah, there's an Isaac Asimov uh, short story. It's called The Thrill of Something. I think I can't remember. I can't remember the title, but it's about a future in which we've forgotten how to do arithmetic because we're just like uh, you know everyone uses calculators, um, and this one guy figures out how to how to do it. He just works it out by looking at you know, the sums coming out of calculators. And um, I think, oh, maybe it's the thrill of power. Or, no, it's called the feeling of power. That's right. Um, and yeah, that does give him this immense thrill that he can, that's the feeling of power, that he can do what the machines do. And uh, I can't remember the full story, but he ends up sort of like the government and like worried about his crazy abilities. And, um, but yeah, it, to some extent, that has happened, right? We, I, I, I can't remember how to do long division. I mean, I was taught it at school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I never need to do that. Um, I would, you know, I can do some sums in my head, and sometimes I'll entertain myself by, I don't know, doing it instead of reaching for a calculator. But um, that doesn't seem too worrying. But but like you say, if that happens with writing, that that is concerning, right? If, mm -hmm. um. But I don't know. I feel like language is so in, integral to our life, right? Whereas mathematics and arithmetic is something that we've kind of found very useful and we've grafted it on. It's like being a great tool in itself. Um, but I think, yeah, language is... Uh, I don't see us outsourcing language. I see us maybe leveraging. I mean, people are leveraging ChatGPT uh, to assist their writing. Um, mm, I live in a country with almost 50% poverty and 60% uh, of kids are, are poor. So, so poverty is overrepresented in, in kids than the overall population. If you are poor in Argentina, it means you're going to be, you're going to be having very basic instruction. So, so I, I completely agree with you. But, but it's, it's not going to happen to us, perhaps. But, but not everyone has the life that, that, that we, we have. I mean, if, if, say, how many words do we manage? I, I don't remember the, the number, but say uh, an average adult ma manages, say, 5,000 words. Mm -hmm. Well, there are kids in Argentina who manage 200. And the way... The same you were saying about, I mean, giving things a label so that you can outsource part of your reasoning and they become a building block to more sophisticated things. If you only have 200 words, 
there's very little you can think. So, so the way this thing can play out, it's not like we're going to completely, I mean, outsource uh, writing, but again, like, 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 the, like, the, like the opposite of the caveman, we will suddenly become, I mean, have less and less vocabulary and be able to, to, to articulate thoughts uh, more rudimentarily. Uh, that, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of. Not, not, not like we, we stop mm -hmm. writing completely, but that, but that our writing skills and our ability to, to think becomes, I mean, weaker and weaker. I, yeah, I I do wonder if I mean even if um, people are on aren't able to get a kind of formal education, I just wonder if they they may have a lot more words than we think. Right? <laughs> they may just be different words, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the other thought that comes to mind is could I don't know which way it will go, but I know. AI will be extremely powerful within education. And part of me thinks that it will be a great leveler and help, you know, it, it could be like giving everyone who has a smartphone, right? Giving, they'll now also have a personal tutor and a personal tutor for, for Spanish, for English, for, for maths, for, for physics, right? For every subject, they'll, they'll have an expert personal tutor. Um, and so that could be a great force for leveling up, but only if it really does get in everyone's hands and also only if everyone is given the time to use it, given the opportunity to use it and given some minimal instruction in how to use it as well. Um, and if we don't have that, we may have the reverse effect and instead of bringing everyone closer together um we'll have the people who are taught and able to use these tools you know having all the enjoyments of better wealth and and other things but their intelligence or their productivity will be supercharged relative to others is is chat gpt gonna help us in terms of getting everyone to the same level in education or a similar level, or is it going to make things worse and it's going to just increase the disparities and differences? The honest answer is I don't know. And both scenarios could play out. Uh, I think we have a chance to use it. I mean, for good, and it could be amazing. And, and, and the biggest problem with education until today is lack of personalization. When you have one teacher for any, every, say, 20 students, there's no way you can keep track. I mean, you have one who already understood everything and is getting bored. You have another one who's not, get, I mean, understanding a thing and is completely lost. And then you have another one who's, I mean, barely catching up with what you're telling and, and, and it's challenge and, and you're providing exactly the same stimuli to the three of them. So mm -hmm. being able to actually have an individual tutor, someone, I mean, knowing exactly what your or, or difficulties are, it, it's extremely promising. At the same time, I mean, you were mentioning before that, I mean, that app or whatever would, would run on a cell phone. And one of the great things out of the world today is that even poor people have cell phones, but it's the same cell phone where they have TikTok. Mm. So, so it's like going to a, a, trash food chain 
and ask him to asking a, ask a kid to buy carrots. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so so it's going to be tricky. There there's a, a huge business model uh, exploiting our our weaknesses. Yeah, and uh, and we're not dealing with that correctly right now. It happens with food. It, now it happens with 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 uh, digital entertainment, binge watching. Uh, I cannot understand how companies like Netflix can have a, 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 a serious a TV series category called addictive series. <laughs> when you you're basically saying that doing some, I mean, digital addiction still looks cool. No yeah. one would boast of spending an entire weekend doing drugs. Mm. But many people may say, I mean, the last uh, season of Game of Thrones came out. I spent the entire weekend watching nonstop. What is that? I mean, when did that become <laughs> a good thing for anyone? Mm. Uh, so, so I think we have to learn, I mean, d- discipline. At the end of the day, it's the same as, I, I think the, 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 the analogy with uh, the, the, the diet is a very good one. We all know what we're supposed to, I mean, more or less, we all know what we're supposed to eat. The difficult thing is not, I mean, people who who eat too much, it's not that because they don't know that eating three slices of chocolate cake is not good for you. It's because they cannot resist not doing that. And and, and I'm familiar with that situation. I, 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 I strive with my own discipline every day. I would mm-hmm. eat chocolate every day and I, I can't do it. And sometimes I'm, I'm, I have a stronger will and sometimes I, I'm, I'm weaker. Uh, and I think with this is going to be something similar. I mean, we know TikTok, I mean, being entertained for 30 minutes a day, that's perfectly fine. I mean, I'm not against having fun watching videos on, on, on an app. But if you are spending between TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and uh Facebook and WhatsApp, you're spending eight hours of your day very entertained, very, very, very amused, but basically letting time pass by, uh, you're overeating in a way. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think it'd be a big, and I cannot understand how this is still not taught in schools. Mm. schools at least in Argentina, schools don't discuss, I mean, what TikTok is doing to your brain and why you use mm-hmm. it so much and what they are trying to do to you and why you should try to use it, but no more than X minutes per day and you track how much you used it and, and, and you can limit. And that, that's what was the subject of, of my previous book. Yeah. Yeah, I think it strikes me that these are problems that we've faced in the past, but maybe not to the same degree. I, I'm thinking of in the 19th century, actually, even with the when books first came out, people were really worried that people were, would just spend all their time reading. <laughs> but in the 19th century, they became particularly worried about something called reading for the plot. Um, so um, where you would, you know, you had these novels that were kind of addictive, right? Like, you know, even things by Dickens or um, and people just wanted to, 
or Sherlock Holmes, you can think as well. You just want to find out what happens next. Serialized um, books in particular, like Sherlock Holmes was. And, well, Tolstoy was really worried about this. And he said that, you know, he didn't want people to read his books like that. that they should read them kind of several times. And the first time, yeah, you, you get you, you get the plot, but the plot is just, you know, a, a framework for ideas. But, but anyway, the point is, yeah, people have kind of be, used to binge read, um, but now that looks relatively harmless compared to <laughs> binge watching uh, TV, I guess. And in particular, because what happens now is you, you have this kind of layer of personalization, like you're saying about TikTok on, on top, which means it's like, that chocolate cake has been designed exactly for you, right? It really ticks all the things you love about chocolate cake. It's it's so much more powerful. Uh, and, and, and yeah, they are not using generative AI yet. Yes, yeah, they are, they are limited by the content pool created by humans recently. Yeah. So so, I mean, of course that that's a pretty vast pool. They're not that limited. And they can definitely find interesting things. But, but for instance, if you use TikTok daily, things start repeating. I like tennis. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it was very difficult to, to, to watch the really strange things that may happen in, on a tennis game because most of them happen on the first round in Cincinnati. I mean, you, you, not at the final of Wimbledon. So, so you, 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 I mean, I didn't get to see them. Now with TikTok, everything interesting that happens on a tennis court, I get it. Same day. But sometimes when th something really interesting happens, as more than one person uploads, uh, uploads it, uh, I get sh that shown several times. So, so the, the pool is limited. When then they can generate personal videos, a video that only you will see, with all the elements that are addictive to you, that's going to be way more powerful and, uh, than, than anything we've seen so far. The other comment regarding the, 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 the novels and, and Dickens is that reading is cognitively tolling. I mean, you cannot read forever. You get tired. Your eyes get tired. Your, your brain gets tired. Watching Netflix, you can, I mean, of course, at some point you would get tired, but you can go, go way longer. The, the, the intellectual demands are, are, are significantly lower. The same is true with, with TikTok. So overeating digital content in, 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 this, in, 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 uh, in visual format uh, is, is probably more concerning than, than, than reading. Uh, and and we, will, we will start seeing a lot of people who are actually addicted to digital content. Yeah, oh, I think I'm sure that must exist already, but maybe we're just not talking about it enough. Yeah, I I just want to say I think it it depends on the book. I remember reading um actually Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom, and I could probably read about five pages of that a night before I just fell asleep. <laughs> not because not because it was boring, but it was like the opposite. This was just like so stimulating that I just couldn't take any more. Whereas if you read I don't know like a airport thriller, right? You can you can get through that whole book in a night, and you won't be able to get to you know it'll keep you up because you keep reading it but it's not sort of filling you up intellectually as it were so it's not kind of exhausting you even though it is in a way because it's stopping well, we, you we tend to be lazy you know so so things that are easier are more tempting 
for every for every Nick Bostrom, there's a thousand, uh, I mean, uh, paperback fiction writers. Yeah. Well, we, we we've talked for quite a while now, and um, we should probably bet both get going. But yeah, I'm. I mean, we've talked. I guess yeah. I'm just thinking of a good final question. <laughs> we've covered so much ground. How do we wrap this up? Is there one thing that like? Let's finish this on an optimistic note, right? There's lots of stuff to worry here, and we've sort of come down a little alley where uh, we talk about all the ways in which AI, things can go wrong. yeah, things can go wrong, but things can go right mm-hmm. as well. What do you, what do you see as as the things that can really go right? Like, what is optimistic, but also not 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 completely off the table. Let me tell you something I'm personally working on. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, so so I still create companies. And one of the things that has me most excited is a, a company I invested recently. I'm not the founder, but I, I invested recently. And basically what, what we're trying to, uh, you know, whenever a person dies, there's a huge loss. Perspectives on life anecdotes, histories, uh, and that, I mean, e- even if, if that person, I mean, wrote stuff or you have pictures of, or some recordings, uh, there's something irreversibly lost. Even asking questions you haven't asked. And I feel that particularly with my, my grandparents. My, all, all my grandparents were, were born in Europe and escaped Europe between the two wars uh, and came to Argentina. And they had extremely difficult lives. I mean, they, 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 they endured hunger in Europe and then spent over a month on a boat crossing the, the Atlantic and arrived into a country where they didn't have a language or, and, and they didn't have money. And, and so, so they, those were, it's not like my life or your life. I mean, those were really lives worth exploring in, in and I was a kid and I didn't ask and then they passed and uh, as an adult I started having so many questions for them that I cannot get to ask uh, and they're lost but we might not be at least not completely I mean we have a digital footprint and we can specifically set to create a digital footprint that would allow us not to live forever for ourselves, but to be there for others. And of course, it's not going to be the same. I'm I'm not talking here about, I mean, eternal life or anything like that. I'm saying being able, I mean, you know, the the, the right of of, uh, death is probably one of the most, I mean, human things. Every single culture that ever existed had some kind of ritual for the dead. And if you think about it, ours is a piece of crap. I mean, all we can do is go to a cemetery and watch at a stone that may have the name of the person, perhaps a picture, 
I mean, it's such a bad way to interact with the legacy of a person. So one of the things I'm working on is how do we basically back up the minds of people so that on one hand, they can, they can somehow still be there for, for the people that love them in life. But also, I mean, say we could ask Einstein about AI. Of course, we would never know what Einstein would have said. I mean, this is probabilistic, right? But ChatGPT is probabilistic and the answers are amazing. So if we could train an AI to actually really, I mean, you can ask ChatGPT what Einstein would have said, but their, their, their knowledge, its knowledge of, of, of particular persons is relatively limited. But if we set to actually train AIs to, to emulate people, I think that could be very, very powerful and extremely positive. And of course, some people are going to hate it and think that, I mean, this is going against, I mean, uh, dying is part of life and you, we shouldn't try to, to uh, I think it would be amazing. And, and this is something that I want to help build so that, uh, I mean, legacies, I mean, people are not going to live forever, but legacies might. Yeah, that that's a big one. <laughs> a kind of eternal life, like you say. I think Eliza Yukovsky, I think he's built an a trained an LLM based on writing of his father who who, who died. Um so I think yeah, I think he's played with this as well. Well Ray Kurzweil Ray Kurzweil Ray Kurzweil, sorry. Always always to bring back his his father. I'm not saying uh, we're going to bring back people or keep them alive. I'm just saying uh, we can do a much better job documenting what a, a person's mind is about uh, and create a reasonable, reasonably reliable emulation of how that mind worked so that it's still interesting and, 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 and nurturing, interacting with that digital backup. Yeah. Gosh, I, I confuse Ray Kurzweil and Eliza Yukoski a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's an interesting point to to end it. I mean, good luck building that. I think if you do that, you have a you have a big business. Let, let me tell you, this is something that will happen. And I'm not sure if, if we're going to be the ones making it happen. There's more than one team in the world trying to do that. Uh, perhaps it's us, perhaps it's, it's someone else, but this is going to happen. And I'm very glad for that. I think it's it's going to be great. Yeah. Just one final thought on this. I remember talking to a philosopher and he said, look, he pointed to this kind of stack of books on the table and he says, this is how I talk. You know, I can talk to Aristotle, right? And and, and all the books of Aristotle. So, you know, there are some people who, who've left a pretty rich heritage of literature. Instead of, I, I do think that maybe the way that will interact with the ideas of others, even even when we're alive, is instead of reading their books, like maybe, you know, while we're alive, we create these emulations of ourselves. And that's how we understand the world that someone's created, right? We might have entirely new ways of, of, of creating literature and, and recording thought that instead of it being a static text, it's like, it's this oracle sort of thing. No, and again, this, this would be huge for education too. Yeah. Imagine if instead of, I mean, reading 
Socrates books, you could talk to, well, there are no Socrates books. I chose a, the, the, a bad example, but Aristotle books, uh, you could you could talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Ask think, well, him. yeah. And, and that's probably a better way of uh, doing philosophy, I think. I mean, that's how the Greeks were doing it. <laughs> so. and, and absolutely. And I'm very curious I mean, once we start having these digital minds, these, these these emulations, we could have, say, Napoleon giving an opinion on the uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict. What would Napoleon have to say about that? I, I, and again, if the emulation is good uh, and, and, and we're really capturing the perspective, it could be extremely thought-provoking. Yeah, interesting. Um, there's things I'm skeptical about, but there's things I'm excited about in that that idea. Brilliant. Okay, so so good, so, so good talking to you. I hope it doesn't. I mean, uh, we, we speak again before ten years have passed. But if yeah. we don't, I really wonder what we are going to be talking about in ten, in ten years from now. Yeah, I I I just won't be. I can't imagine. Let's work it in our in our calendars. And make sure that, that, I mean, even if we're reconnecting between, we do listen to this recording in 10 years from now and laugh uh, at what, what we thought were, what was going to happen. I like this idea. So, yeah, we'll this. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, this has been great. Real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Muchísimas gracias. An Argentine entrepreneur who's created several country, uh, several companies. You can tell this is ad libbed. <laughs>